persecuted church. It's, it's amazing. God never ceases to amaze me on how he directs the thoughts for lessons to come and flow through. It's been on my heart to explain what true faith is and, and, and the idea of faith for a while. And I've been wrestling and I couldn't get it. And there was a reason because he wanted me to save it for today. <laughs> because things started coming together three weeks ago. I got back. I'll start at the beginning. Back in the spring, my dad told me about a movie that was coming out called Tortured for Christ. From the voice of martyrs, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, it's 50 years now that the voice of martyrs has been around, and it's asking for prayers for those who are in all of our countries that are being persecuted just because they believe in Jesus Christ. And so it was founded by a guy that I'm going to introduce in our message today, Richard Wormbrand, and he was a prisoner for a long time and beaten severely. When he finally got out, he formed Voice of Martyrs to, to get prayer for those who are in prison like he was in foreign countries and, and just to make awareness of it. Um, it's, it's an amazing story. But then I didn't, wasn't able to see the movie in March and it was only out at a few places. But I signed up for their emails and I got the book, Tortured for Christ. Um... Two weeks ago, I got an email saying that um, I could watch that movie now on your computer for free for one day. And so I watched that movie, and that set my heart working again to want to talk about faith because of the faith that this man and these people that he writes about had. And so I started writing it on Monday, and what had evaded me for a long time the Lord gave to me like that when I prayed to him and asked him to help me on this. And then I open up the Voice of Martyrs website and I find that it's today, Sunday, November 4th. And Ron and I was talking about it through the week. Sunday, November 4th is International Day of Prayer Day for our persecuted church. And you can look on our board in the foyer of John Matthew and what's going on in India with who we support. And we're going to see here our brothers and sisters in Pakistan because that's who they're going to highlight today, um, what they're going through. And so afterwards, we're going to say a prayer for them and for Dorothy and for our lesson. And then we're going to get into a lesson on what true faith is. But this is going to set the stage for us. Um, if you want to go ahead and, and play that, Miss T., Okay. Let me see what we got here. Let me see. Oh, you're all right. Thank you. 
Today in Pakistan, we Christians are second-class citizens. Though we have committed no crime, we are ostracized and banished to the lowest place in society. where Christians come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to sing His praise, to study His Word. For while our country has turned its back on us, God has not. Sometimes it is not easy.
Wow. I have to tell you that this week has been spent with many, many tears. Please, uh, let's pray for a moment. I'll allow you to pray yourself for a moment and then I'll close this out. We'll begin. Father, we reach out to you in prayer for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted only because they believe in you and your son and in your word. And Father, your spirit is with them to help them persevere. And Father, we join with you in prayer for these brothers and sisters. Father, we cannot understand what they go through just because they made a choice to follow you. Pray that, Father, you will increase their faith, increase their ability to withstand and to endure and to not give in and not fall back. Father, protect them and hedge them up. We pray for all of those around the world, and especially these that we just saw in Pakistan and those that we support in India. And, Father, be with with John and his wife as they... Minister there in service to you under persecution, under trouble and trials, extreme weather conditions, people who do not want them to succeed, all because of faith in you. And Father, I pray that you've prepared our hearts through this for the message of your word today. I pray that you will allow us to be strong, committed disciples. And a disciple is one who forsakes everything else to follow the master. Father, may we be willing to do that in a land of ease. And may we always be free for not only us, but our children and our grandchildren and their children. So that they can worship you in spirit and in truth in freedom without this type of persecution. And may you use us to help stop the persecution around the world. And we ask this, and we ask for your blessing upon our sister Dorothy, who was released yesterday. We pray that you'll continue to grow her in strength, Father. Her desire is to be back here worshiping you. She's your disciple. And we pray for her, Father, and for Bill and for the family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Like I said, I watched this movie, Tortured for Christ. Sue couldn't watch it. She, it started, and she said, I can't watch it. I'm going to bed. And I sat there, and I watched it. 
I told her about it. She was the one that said, you need to, you need to, to tell the folks. And I said, yeah, but it, it, it's got to come from him and not from me. And so finally it, it did. And this is what we came up with. Richard Wormbrand and his family lived in Romania in the 40s. Right after World War II, Russia came in, sent a million troops into Romania. And they started coming in. He made a very good illustration. He said, the difference between love and seduction is the difference in what, what happened here. Love wants the best interest of those whom they love. Seduction only wants to use you. And so we, they came in trying to seduce us with that we will make life better for you. Things will be good. We are strong. But their entire goal was to have Stalin worshipped, communism worshipped, and Jesus Christ and the church on the back burner and not spoken about at all. Communism, folks, is atheistic. They don't believe in a God. Communism and its form of government of socialism is evils that is designed by Satan himself to then oppress through power your ability to be able to worship God. We must fight that in our country. Once they came in with this seduction, then they said, you will worship Stalin on a higher level than Jesus. And you cannot go about speaking his name and teaching the way that you've been doing. And many of the cowards in Christ, they had this open, there was one radio station and it's government operated and all of the hierarchy of Russia was there and all of, they was inviting all the cowards for Christ to come up and speak to the entire nation that communism is good and we need to embrace it and they bowed down and did it. And Richard was sitting there in this big assembly and he looked at his wife and she said, the truth needs to be told, Richard. And he said, I know, and I desire to, but if I speak, you lose a husband. She told him, I did not marry a coward. Tell him about Christ. And he marched up to the podium, and they was whispering back and forth to each other, the Russians, to one of the people from Romania, and they said, He's well known. He will be a good speaker for us. He will be a good influence. Uh, He got up there and he started preaching Jesus Christ. And he said communism is evil. Stalin is not Jesus Christ. There is one God that we worship. And his son died for us and shed his blood upon that cross. And you need to worship him and him alone. And he immediately made his way out the door. It didn't go good for him. For right after that, they let him go for a few weeks. And then it so happened on his way to church. It was on Leap Day, Sunday, February 29th, 1948, that they kidnapped him on his way to a church service. Um, Go ahead and give me the next slide, Miss T. That right there is... 
his mugshot of that fateful day because he stood up for Christ. He was arrested and taken in in 1948. After he was taken in, a couple of the Gestapo came into his wife's house and said, Your husband, we are former prisoners, and we watched as they had murdered him and buried him. It was a lie, but they wanted to dispel the strength that was going on in the church. And they thought that by saying that they had done that, and they had watched the burial, that then they would give up hope in Jesus because their hero was gone. But it only made them stronger. And it was a lie. And she continued her faith. In prison, he writes in this book of what happened to those other people who were imprisoned and of himself. He witnessed many things. There was one man named Pastor Florescu that he was beaten so badly that they, he, he went half mad. And then... He still didn't give the names because what they wanted through this was the names of your parishioners, where you taught so that we can go and that we can take them just like this. He wouldn't give in. He endured it himself, but then they brought in his 14-year-old son, Alexander, and they strapped him up in front of his cell and they started beating him. And he went half mad And he said, Alexander, I must tell them what they want. Because I cannot, I can endure myself, but I cannot bear watching you. You know what that 14 year old man, and I emphasize man, said to his father? Withstand it, father. Withstand it. I do not do me the shame of having a traitor to our Lord as a father. The guard was so upset and irate at what the young man said. He ended his life right there in front of his dad. But when he died, he had Jesus on his lips and he was proclaiming him in faith. They not only would beat you, they would put you in a box that had sharp, thick nails that was barely big enough for you to fit in and close it. You couldn't move. The bad thing was they would leave you there for two to three weeks at a time. So if you start to fall asleep or waver, you get stuck. And if you fall asleep and fall, then when you jerk, it would rip you. Then... They took a pipe and took starving rats and fed them in there so that you had to fight them off. I mean, that's just a few of the things besides the red pokers and, and the different things and the feet frosting you to the point of hypothermia over and over again and thawing you out just to repeat the process. And this is the part that made me cry. Is he writes that every time they stopped, I would tell them Jesus loves you. I would continue to witness to them because he said, 
they would stand there when you would say that and say, there is no Jesus, there is no God. As a matter of fact, I am your God because I have the ability to give you life or death. What I say goes and that is God and I am God. And then they would say, since we do not believe in God, we do not believe that there is any kind of repercussions for what we do. We can do what we want to sadistically with glee and joy because there is no thing after this life and we will not be punished. And that's the mindset of these people. And he would tell them, there is a God and I'm praying for you that you don't find out about what repercussions are. I pray that you find Jesus first. And a few did. But I thought, how unworthy am I? Because I don't, until you've walked in a man's moccasins, you don't know what you would do. And that was some terrible stuff. And I couldn't imagine it. Their faith and their endurance was remarkable. After 14 total years in prison, Richard was finally released after all those beatings his feet were broken constantly from the bars that they would strap him on he couldn't walk again right but the russians from pressure from countries like america and our prayers for them finally said we will release him for ten thousand dollars the normal price of a prisoner was 1400 but he was the crown jewel of god's ministers in that country and it was ten thousand dollars his freedom was purchased and they took him to oslo norway where they said you you shouldn't be alive he'd suffered tuberculosis went through the room where they said you're not coming out of here but god held him on and he said it was for one reason so that when i got out i could be a voice for those who are still inside that is faith that is perseverance. He wrote 18 books. He finally came to America. He wrote 18 books, founded the Voice of the Martyrs, as, as I told you at the beginning. And now, this slide coming up next is from May of 1966, when he was ordered to testify before the Washington, D.C. U.S. Senate Internal Security Subcommittee. They wanted his testimony. Then they wanted him to remove his shirt and show the wounds that he spoke about to see if they were actually sewed. He's got 18 holes through his body for Christ. Red hot pokers and, and just all kinds of stuff. And they tried to brainwash him. They would 17 hours a day in the cell play. Communism is good. Christianity is bad. There is no Jesus. Give it up. And it, that would repeat over and over for 17 hours a day in prison. And then many others did the same thing and they persevered. I like the quote. If one desires to know what God is like, he should be able to find out by looking at the believer. That's a challenge, isn't it? Isn't that a challenge? That as we walk day by day, that people should be able to see God 
through us. Faith in God, in Jesus Christ, and the resurrection from the dead is what drove them to be faithful. The same thing that Jesus and the apostles told us over and over. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. And those promises that was there persevered them. And we're only touching a little bit of what happened. But make no mistake, that's going on today all around the world. And it's trying to raise its ugly head in America. The Bible is almost hate speech nowadays. It's almost there. We need godly men and women leading our country and our nation so that this doesn't happen to us. What's happened? I've got many friends that I'm with and they'll say, we used to have 400 in Sunday morning. Now we have 100. It's because life is too easy. I pray that we have a revival before we have persecution that drives us to revival. It seems to be so hard for us to come out and worship God for 90 minutes a week. But those who were motivated by this intent to torture, they, they want to make that here. And if they did, would I, the question I ask myself, have enough faith? To continue to persevere. Because the way faith is taught today. In most of the places. Is so watered down. It's not funny. All you have to do is say I believe. And never worry about anything else again. You know what? That's not faith. We're going to find that out here in a minute. Because I've always said. That I don't never speak anything of myself. That I always let the Bible interpret the Bible. If you want to know what it says, find out what it says about it. And that's what you teach. And you never teach what you think is an ideal. So, we are told by God in His Word what faith really is. And so, with the help of the Holy Spirit today, I hope to share with you what faith really is. So, let's take a crack at it. We're going to talk about some two heroes of faith today and what that really looks like. First, whatever faith is, it originates from what Romans 10 and 17 says. It says there that faith is by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So whatever faith is, it is found in the Word of God. That's where it originates and that's where it's strengthened and persevered within us. It has to come from the Word of God. That's the reason we gather here together each week. We pray, we sing praises, we commune, and we learn more about the Word to make us strong. Then we're told in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, this is one of our favorite passages, and most of the people just take this like the spear and throw it down as a gauntlet. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And you know, most times we just stop there and say, that's good enough. It says it's by grace. All I've got to do is believe and we move on. I had a minister one time who liked to use this phrase that someone else had taught him. He said, read the next verse. 
It's always a good idea not to take anything out of context. But let's read the next verse. So what's the next verse say? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Now workmanship means that somebody's doing something, right? Somebody's making something. And what they make is their workmanship. What they have crafted. We, when we are born again... And to walk in a newness of life, we are recrafted by our craftsman, the master, Jesus Christ. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For what purpose? What's it say there? For good works. For good works. We are workmanship to be put on display For the Lord Jesus Christ as his workmanship and conduct our lives and demonstrate through it, like his quote said, that if you want to see God, if you want to see Jesus, you ought to be able to see it through us. Because we are his workmanship created for such things. Now, a lot of people get just faith and belief mixed up though. So James had to write an entire chapter on it. James chapter 2. I thought it would be good if we'd go there to continue let the word of God interpret what these things mean. So we go to James and we'll be there for a while if you want to turn your own Bibles there. We're going to be there for a second and then we're going to be in Hebrews 11 so you'll know where we're at today. But James chapter 2 begins like this and it says, Brethren, do not hold the faith, there's our word, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with any partiality at all. Treat the one with fine things like the one that has nothing. For the royal law of Scripture, verse 5 says, and this is a quote that Jesus liked to make, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remember when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your being, your strength. Whichever version you look. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two things. All of the law and the commandments hinge upon. You wouldn't steal from somebody if you loved them. You wouldn't murder somebody if you loved them. The whole idea of the law is freedom and love. For God and for each other. So he said you shall love your savior. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But showing partiality is wrong. Then he gets to the meat and potatoes of what the Holy Spirit wants us to know about faith down in verse 14. So there in verse 14. What does it profit you, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And I say that's a good question. It's one that a lot of folks are asking out there today, isn't it? And a lot of them are banking on one side or the other. Let's start to explain what he's meaning there then on can that type of faith save them? What happens when I emphasize just say I have faith and that alone is good enough? Let's continue. Here's how God's definition of faith begins to work out. Here's what he says about it. If a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart, go in peace, be filled, be warmed, but you 
don't personally do anything to try and help it. What kind of faith is that? Does it profit you any? Thus also faith by itself and does not have works with it is dead. It's worthless. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So here's the argument. This is kind of the Pharisees with the disciples. It's, I have works. Religion is like the Pharisees thinking that works makes me righteous with God without having to worry about what Jesus did on the cross for me. It's saying, I am doing good for that. There are those who say, I just believe and that's good enough. James, and we're going to find out God, says together they make faith perfect. That what you do is a result of what you believe because faith is taking the word of God on what he has instructed us to do with our life and doing it. And when we do that, faith and our actions Make faith perfect in God. He goes on to say, You say I have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, but I will show you my faith by my works. And what the Holy Spirit is trying to get across is that in the spiritual realm, true faith is always action. It's never I believe and I don't produce fruit. Also, like I said, it's not about your earning something. It's not with the attitude that I am working my way there because that's wrong also. It's the attitude of because I have been saved from my sins by grace through faith, I now exhibit myself as a workman of God to the world to spread that message to others who will then be able to follow God. Look at what he said in the next verse. Let's read that next verse again, 19. You believe that there's one God. Here's his facetious. He's being really a little sarcastic here when he says, you believe in one God, you do well. And they're starting to think good of themselves. Then he goes on. Even the demons do that. They believe. And yet they tremble. And why are they now trembling? They were there in heaven. You think you believe? What about them? They were there. They witnessed God. They were with God in His presence. But what happened? They did not do what God asked them to do. And they rebelled against what God wanted them to do. So that is the difference between belief and faith. Even the demons believed, but where are they at now? You've got to change. They didn't enact a change in their life that carried on with faith along with believe. They evidently didn't believe that God would pursue himself again through his word and make the other promise of a a recompense of a punishment if you don't. They didn't believe God would follow through with that, so they rebelled. They didn't think that they would be held accountable. But we are created anew in Jesus Christ for these good works, saved by grace through faith. Grace provides everything. You can't earn it, deserve it, or work for it. 
But faith demonstrates your belief in what God has said. So let's go on. What's the next verse say there in 21? He starts to explain this even further. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see then that faith working together with his works and by doing it, faith is made perfect. That's what faith is. Faith is hearing what God said for me to do in life. And when by love and faith and adoration I do it, that becomes faith. He goes on and on. Abraham believed God then by doing what he said and it was counted to him as righteousness. Together, that was made perfect. They go hand in hand. Verse 24, you see then that a man is justified also by works and not by faith only because what you do is an expression of what you believe. Now, if you got doubts about that and you're still a little fuzzy on it, I say we go to the next chapter that continues to explain this. Hebrews chapter 11. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, the scripture explains itself, I think, really good. This chapter, this book uses the word faith 38 times. This chapter is going to use it uh, eight, 13 times. 13 times in this one chapter, we're going to have the word faith used. Canton, Ohio has the Football Hall of Fame. Cooperstown, yeah, Peyton's in there, buddy. He's right there. Cooperstown, New York has the Baseball Hall of Fame, and many of our Dodgers are in there, aren't they? Chapter 11 is the Bible's Hall of Fame. This is the ones that are enshrined by the Holy Spirit of God as the Hall of Fame of Faith. If you want to know what faith is like, read Hebrews 11. It's on our Berean challenge this week, Hebrews 11. Let's begin in verse 1 there. Faith is a substance for things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. By faith, now we're going to get some definitions. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain did, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. God was testifying of that through his gifts And through it, though he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Well, how do you please God? Verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must not only believe that he is but that he is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. By faith, Noah also, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he was condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed, 
when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with his son and grandsons, Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of that same promise. He waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So then what I see in every instance of faith is this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God told them something and they did it. And it was credited to them in that combination as righteousness. By faith, Abel. Cain wasn't by faith. He was upset. So there was two sacrifices given. One was an animal sacrifice that Abel did. Cain said, I'm a gardener. I'm going to not give that. I'm going to give the fruits of my growth. Evidently, since it says by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice and faith comes by hearing the word of God. God had told him what to offer. You're going to offer a lamb without blemish. It's going to represent my son upon the cross one day. And Cain rebelled and said, I don't believe that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to offer you what I've grown from my works and offer that up. And that is not by faith. By faith, Abel heard the word of God. Offered what God said to put upon there. And by faith, it says, was made righteousness perfect. That is the definition of faith. The same thing with Noah and with Abraham. God told them what to do. It says Noah being divinely warned. There's the word of God, right? He did what? Sat on the couch and ate bonbons and watched Will of Fortune? I believe. Lord, I believe you're going to send the flood. Is that faith? It says... By faith, when he was divinely warned of what was going to happen, he moved with godly fear to do what God had told him to do. That is faith. Faith is not sitting around, not doing what he's asked us to do. You see how the Bible gives its own definition of what it is? We don't have to argue about it, all of these folks out there in all of the different realms. This is what it says for us to do. It, and the first verse of Hebrews says that it's the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for. And that means it doesn't make sense to build an ark when it's never rained and you're in a desert. It don't make sense. Sense says I want to prop my feet up and watch TV. But God said it's going to happen. And he prepared for what was going to happen. That is faith in action. Therefore, verse 6 is very key. Underline that one in your book. That faith is believing not only that there is a God, but diligently doing what He said for us to do. And it goes on and on down through here. Miss T's probably all over the place because I just freelanced all of this. Um, Faith is the substance of these things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, and that is the kind of unshakable faith that allowed these people in Romania and going on today in all of these countries over in Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia, 
They are being tortured in Korea and in China, our brothers and sisters in Russia. But it's because the evidence of things not seen, they have read in the word of God that Jesus died for them, that there is eternal life and that there is a heaven that they are going to get for eternity. And that evidence of something not yet seen is what drives them to be able to have faith and to persevere. Now, verse 13, we go to the next one, Miss T. I know I'm all over the place. So, Verse 13 goes so far to say this, that all of those that we just read about, they all died in faith, but they never received the promise. How about that? You went through all of these things and you never received the promise that you believed was there in this life. They're going to receive it in the next one. But they didn't get to see all that. They obeyed God and died in faith, never having received the promise, but they believed it and they could see it in reality afar off and they embraced it. They were assured of these promises and they confessed that I'm just a stranger in this land. Pilgrims on this earth and folks, we sing a song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And because of that kind of faith, faith, verse 16 says what? Therefore, God is not ashamed that they call him their God. And he has prepared for them a city who he is the builder of the foundation of. They were sure heaven was real. And their faith persevered throughout the rest of their life even though they hadn't yet received that. And this chapter of chapter 11 of faith goes on and on and on with Abraham again and Isaac and Jacob and Rahab and David and prophets and the walls of Jericho falling. And then we get down to verse 33. And it says, all of these who through faith. Now that's our, that's our term, isn't it? From, from Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved by grace through what? Faith. Okay. All of these are examples of that. Who, through faith, we are saved by grace through faith. Who, through faith, subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions and and quenched the violence of fire. That's Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Daniel stopped the mouths of the lion, the other three, the flames and the fire. You know why they, each one of those was put there? By worshiping the God of heaven. And somebody else in charge said, You're only going to worship me and bow down now. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood there and they said, We believe in the one true God. And we are sure that that one God can rescue us. But be it known to you this day that even if he does not, we still believe that he could do it. And we are not going to bow down to you or anyone else but him. That's faith, isn't it? By faith, the fire was quenched. Daniel, they knew he worshipped God three times a day praying towards his home. Had the king in pride, he wrote the law. You don't worship anyone but me. First day, they dragged Daniel before him. Look what happened. Guess what? King didn't want to, but rules rule. Threw him into the lion's den. Put the rock on it. He couldn't sleep all night. Goes there the next day. You all know what happened, right? Daniel, you there? Yeah, I'm here. The Lord 
said, I'm going to shut the mouths of these lions. By faith, the mouths of lions were shut, it says here. Faith is doing just what God asks us to do, and God takes care of the rest. Whether it's in this life or the next, God takes care of it in that faith. And it goes on and on. And then it says at the, towards the bottom there that they were tortured, not accepting deliverance. In other words, they could have been set free from torture if they had just gave in. And it says, no, they didn't do that. Why? Because they wanted to obtain a better resurrection. Folks, there's a resurrection going to happen. And there's only two places. And they chose the better place. So they chose, they chose heaven over hell and said that we'll take whatever you dish out in this life because I'm looking for the next one. And that's the only one that matters. And then it goes on and to- tells about those who were stoned and sawn in two. All of these prophets, all these things happened. They wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom, and here's what I told you the Word of God says, of whom this world was not even worthy of them being here. They wandered in the deserts, in dens and in caves, and they in- obtained a good testimony, though. How? Through faith. There's our word again. Through faith. This is the idea and the picture of what faith is. They did not receive, it says, the actual promises. But God, verse 40, provided something better for us. That they should be made perfect apart from us. Wow, did you ever realize what faith was? (laughs) Haven't you been told so much by all of the TV folks and different things? that Just believe. No, here's what faith is. Because even the demons believed and trembled. This is faith. It's persevering. It's hanging on tight. They did it. I want to read you as we're getting ready to close. The Oxford English Dictionary definition of faith versus belief. It says that faith is... A saving faith that is called saving faith, the kind of faith that's called saving faith or a justifying faith is that in which in the New Testament a sinner is justified in the sight of God by seeing the conviction that operates upon the character and the will of that person. That means you were changed, wasn't it? That means you've been transformed from this world into another kingdom and you portray yourself as a workmanship of Christ it's a conviction that operates upon the character and the will of that person that kind of faith it goes on to say is in direct opposition to mere intellectual faith saying I believe and that's it it's in opposition to it and that's exactly what James said and that's exactly what Hebrews 11 says says to us the demons did that much and just trembled but that didn't get salvation for them without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently diligently seek him Peter said we have a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading up in heaven waiting for you. 
That is the motivation of faith. Having not yet seen these things, but knowing assuredly that they're there, we live our lives in preparation for that, looking to that promise of reward. So as my worship team returns, all of this ends up sounding like Pastor Wormbrand and Floresco and those people that we talked about and the people that we're seeing in Pakistan and That's what faith is. That's what the demonstration is. I hope, and it is my sincere prayer, that you and I, nor our children, nor our grandchildren, ever have to be put in any of these kind of situations that that the rest of the world is that is without Christ. I hope that we don't. I hope that we can display Christ just in our lives by doing what we've been asked to do here. I don't think that's too much that God's asked for us for eternal life compared to what this Hall of Fame went through. You know what? They went through a lot. If you're here and you've never obeyed the voice of of Jesus, in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, he said, Jesus came and spoke to them. This is after his resurrection and before he ascended. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You know what a disciple is? That's somebody that gives up everything else to follow him. They don't just say, oh, yeah, I I know you, and I'm good. Make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things what I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. I hope this has motivated you to pray for those folks who are under persecution. It has also motivated us to live our lives in faith and in dedication to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because if we don't, we never know if we might be under that same persecution. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and what he did for us on the cross. That through faith in him and then announcing that through faith and joined together with him through his command there. After we have believed in him and we want to follow him, we portray to the world through baptism. And then it says that we go on learning, being a disciple and learning and following you. And Father, may you protect this nation. May you protect all of its citizens. May we continue to follow you and to be the example in this world of what living for you is. Do not let the powers of darkness overthrow this nation. Do not let it overthrow any of the individuals that are here today worshiping you, nor our families, nor our friends, nor our acquaintances. But Father, may we believe in you and may we respond to you in a faithful way as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen.